He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Hey, a last minute turn on right there. Okay, um, so good to be here with all of you. Uh, Stan asked if I could preach a, a sermon from his uh, 323 series. This is the third month of 2023. That's where that comes from, 323. Uh, he did March on, uh, uh, two weeks on March 5th, he preached from Romans 323, and he talked about how all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we are justified. Amen. That is right. We are justified freely by the grace of Jesus Christ. Last week on March the 12th, he preached from Lamentations chapter 3, verse 23. He talked about God's great love and compassions are new every single morning. And great is his faithfulness. That's another great passage. Uh, the 323s. You know, I am the missions minister. And today is International Day. What that means is, you know how the dates, uh, Americans do what, the day first and then the month. The rest of the world does the month first and then the day. They switch the numbers. So I'm switching the numbers. I am doing a 23-3 sermon, okay? That's where that comes from. 23. Well, what book in the Bible has at least 20? Let's do Psalm 23. That's what I'm going to focus on today. Psalm 23, verse 3, it says this. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his namesake. Now, I memorized that in the King James, which would say, He restoreth my soul, and he leadeth me in paths of righteousness. That's what I want to talk about today. How he restores our soul. He refreshes, he restores, he renews, he renews my soul. It literally means he causes my life to return. <laughs> he brings life back into me. It refers to when our spirit, our life is totally exhausted, worn down, and sad. And God will come alongside of us and bring life back into our soul. Now, please note this. This is not... Restoring the wandering soul. This is not restoring the, the backslidden soul or the, the soul that has slept, uh, that has slipped away from God. This is about, you know, that, that's a soul that needs cleanse. This Psalm 23 is about the person who is exhausted and needs rest, who is grieving and needs comfort, who is afraid and needs strength, who is troubled and needs assurance, who is attacked and needs support, who is lost and needs guidance. That is what Psalm 23 is all about. And when our hearts are weary and worn down, God gives us life. He encourages us and he fills us with brand new joy. That is Psalm 23. That's what we're going to look at today. Now, <clears throat> although we are not given the information of when this psalm was written, we do not know. There's nothing in that psalm that indicates. Many believe that, and some believe that he wrote it when he was older. Maybe as he's looking back through his life and he would think about how he was a shepherd boy and he would watch 
under watchful care, provide that care for his flock and how God has shepherded him through life's ups and life's downs. Now, I want you to notice something specific about this, this poem or this psalm. It is very personal. It is very personal to King David. It's like his statement of his personal faith and his trust in God. He does not use the word, you know, we or us. He says, my and, and me. This, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Not the Lord is our shepherd, but the Lord is my shepherd. Can I just say something about that? If you have not personalized your relationship with God and Jesus, it is time to do so. It is time to do so. How often do we use the plural when talking about our relationship with God? You know, it's not that it's wrong to use the plural, but if we never use it in a personal way, maybe we're missing out. You know, maybe someone might come to you and ask, you know, uh, uh, do you go to church? What church do you go to? And then you catch yourself saying, well, our family, our family goes to Venture Christian Church. It's a family thing to do. You really don't personalize it. Or someone might ask, do you believe in Jesus? Well, I grew up going to church. It was important to my grandparents. Do you just see what you did? You did not say it's mine. You said it's my grandparents. I want, to, I want to encourage you to personalize your faith. If you cannot personalize it, then, then I'd like to suggest that maybe you have a very weak faith. And in the future, I want you to listen to how you answer people when they ask you questions like that. But just like David, we need to personalize our faith. We need to do this. I have one more thing I want to share with you. <laughs> I learned just a few minutes ago that we have over 150 ladies coming to the IF conference. Yes, all right. 150 ladies, that uh, over 150, that will be coming, that have signed up. And I think you can still sign up today. Um, this is what I love. You guys are going to, you ladies are going to go through Psalm 23. You're going to go through this same psalm. I was thinking, okay, I'm glad I get to go first. But in any case, you are going to be so, so blessed by this beautiful psalm. In my years of ministry, what, 40, over 40 years in ministry, 25 of those years where I was the preacher, the preaching guy, uh, I have figured out that I have done way over 200 funerals in my ministry time, 200. And I believe every single time I read the 23rd Psalm, it's very special to me. It brings comfort to me and to so many others. Let me um, read that for you. I will have it on the screen behind me, but I'm gonna read it in the King James Version. That's the one that, that I learned when I was little. And I just want you to hear what it means to me. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. 
He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. And he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. Amen. Thank you. Oh God, thank you for this most precious, precious psalm. Thank you that as David looks back through his life and thinks about as he shepherds sheep, you will shepherd him and you shepherd us today. Thank you for being with us. Comfort us today in your message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So some will take this psalm and they'll divide it into uh, one way of looking at it is to divide into two sections. You have verses 1 through 4, which talk about the good shepherd. The good shepherd. You know, it talks about the green pastures, the waters, the rod, the staff, and so on and so forth. And then the, the last part of the psalm talks about the good host. The good host and, and how the good host prepares a table um, and, and cups that are overflowing in and, and the house of the Lord. So there's, that's, that's one way that, that you can look at this, uh, this, this psalm. I found another fascinating division in this psalm, which I'm going to use to focus on my message today. David starts out this psalm talking about God. He starts out talking about God. He uses what we call the third person. Uh, David says, let me tell you about the one, all the wonderful things that God has done for me. He says, he is my shepherd. He provides green pasture. And by the way, that green pasture, that, that word that's used in, in the Hebrew for that, it's actually not talking about dead-looking March grass that's all dried up. It's talking about the brand-new grass that starts to come up in April. Maybe some of your yard's in March, but it starts to come up. It's green, it's tender, and it's luscious for those sheep. They love it. He says, that green pasture... He leads me to that. And he, and he guides me to still waters. He's not talking about the rushing rapids on one hand or the, the stagnant pond on the other. But he's talking about, you know, this water that is just flowing fresh, clean water. He restores my soul. And he leads me and I follow. This is what he's talking about. Life is good, he says. God is doing all this for me. Look at what God has done. I want to tell you all about all the good things that God has provided. It's like, wow, this is great. And then verse 4 and 5 comes like, what happened? Everything changes. He now is talking about going through the darkest valleys, the valley of death. And he talks about being in the presence of his enemies. and like, ah. And here's what I never noticed before. David switches from third person, where he says, he, 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 
to second person, you, you, you. David switches from third to second. He switches from talking about God to talking to God. He says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod, your staff comfort me. You prepare a table for me. You anoint my head with oil. You know, when he submitted this psalm, I guess the editor missed that and forgot to put it all in the same one. I'm just kidding. I think David did it on purpose. I think he did it on purpose. Why would David, why does David switch from talking about God using third person, he, to now talking to God using second person, you? Why does this happen? Why does it happen at verse 4? Why didn't he just say, you know, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, you know, I'll feel, feel, fear no evil for he's with me. His rod and his staff, they come. Why did he switch over? May I suggest, listen to this. May I suggest that the change he to the more intimate you is because it is there that he speaks of the valleys that he is walking and he has walked and he has felt the shadows closing in. Verse 4 describes these crisis points in his life. It's those times that something deep happened between him and God. See, this is what it is. When life is good, we talk about God. That's great. But when life is hard, we talk to God. When life is good, we talk about him. Third person, when life is hard, we talk to God. You'll notice this too, haven't you? You know, we're more prone to talk about God when, when we're in the green pastures and, and we're more prone to talk to God we're in, when we are in those dangerous ravines. In the light, when life is good, when the path is clear and life you know, continues to be a blessing and we're prone to wander off and, and, and in pursuit of greener grass. But when in the dark, we hug his knee. <laughs> That is what it is. When life is good, we talk about it, but when it is hard, we're grasping. The staff, for 10 weeks, we're doing a study together every Monday, 11 o'clock. Don't text me at 11 o'clock in the morning on Mondays. I won't answer. I'm in a study with the staff. But uh, we're doing this for 10 weeks, and every week each of us are taking turns to share our personal testimony. This past week, Joy Fell shared her testimony. I asked her if I could share some of what she said with you, and she gave me permission. Because um, when you're in a small group, what's said in small group stays in small group. I did get permission. She said that uh, she spent some time on the mission field in Africa, and she did not know the language. And it was very hard. She felt very lonely. And she said the only one she could talk to was God. But it was her comment after she said that that struck me. She said, I wish everybody could have an experience like that. 
That is what God wants. He says, I want you to hug my knees. I want you, I want you. Everyone needs a valley where we can cling to God and when life gets hard and very difficult, then hug the knees of God. And so today, we're going to talk about the truths that we face when going through the dark valleys. I'm going to show you why David was confident in the dark valleys. So that when we go through our dark valleys, we too can be confident. If you're taking notes, write this down. God allows time in the valley. God allows it. He allows time in the valley. Those, those first three verses of Psalms 23, David paints this gentle picture of a shepherd and the sheep and describes the relationship that he has with God and with us and then we with him and, and everything just makes sense and the shepherd is just leading the flock to all these green, the green grass and the calm waters and it's just like, oh, this is so cool. And then we get to verse four and it doesn't fit. Now we're going through the valley of death and it brings up Thoughts of dangerous situations where the, the sheep's life is in jeopardy unless the shepherd is alert and attentive. It's like, why? Why would a sheep be going through such a dangerous place? It's not because they strayed off. It's not because they sinned and strayed off. But did you notice? The shepherd is going with the sheep. He's not, he's not snatching the sheep back into the pasture. No, the, the reason the sheep is going through the valley is because the shepherd has led him through the valley. See, there's a connection between verse 3 and 4 that, that confirms this. The path through the valley is also the paths of righteousness that God leads us. He, it says, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. God is with us in the valleys. God is with us in the valleys. He is with us. He is with us. But why would a good shepherd who would lay down his life for his sheep, lead lambs into a valley filled with danger and threat of death? Well, there's only one possible answer. <laughs> to get to a better place. To get to a better place. Philip, Philip Keller, he's, a, he's an Australian shepherd, wrote a book. Some of you have read this book, which was fascinating to me that others are familiar with this it's a book called a shepherd looks at psalm 23 it includes this observation about the the barren valleys it includes it, it says a shepherd knows from past experience that predators like coyotes bears wolves can take cover in these broken cliffs and from their vantage point prey on the flock he knows these valleys can be subject to sudden storms, to flash floods that send walls of water rampaging down the, the slope. There could be rock slides, mud slides, or, or a dozen other natural disasters that could destroy or injure the sheep. But in spite of such hazards, he also knows that this is still the best way to get his flock to the high country. 
and he spares himself no pains or trouble or time to keep an eye out for any danger that might develop. You know, when, when we're walking through some unfamiliar valley and the shadows linger, when, when you have cancer and you have to decide, do we keep doing chemo or do we try some, uh, something else? When, when you're trying to decide uh, as a matter of godly stewardship whether to take your money out of that market and put it someplace else and what to do, or when, you're, when your finances are so tight and you're trying to think, do I need to take another job to make ends meet? I want you to remember this. Listen to me. Your shepherd has appointed even this hard time as one of his paths of righteousness. He is leading you through the valley for reasons that probably won't be apparent to you. But rest assured, he is taking you to the high country where the sun is warm and the grass is lush. You know, often the path does not make sense. It does not. But God knows where it leads. Trust him. That's what David learned. This valley is hard. And I don't understand why God would possibly lead me through here. But I'm going to trust him. I... Uh, I appreciate many of you praying for me. I'm going through a valley right now. It's a big one. Um, my, my mom is about five years into uh, dementia. She knows me. She probably just knows me as a little kid. <laughs> She's like, what happened to your hair? No, uh, in any case. My dad, I, I am the, one of the luckiest guys. I'm 65 years old, and I still have my mommy and my daddy. And I knew this day would come. My dad, for a year and a half, has been going through um, kidney dialysis. His kidneys are not functioning right, and so you have to hook him up three times a week and clean out his blood. And um, the ports that they use clogged up last fall we got them replaced that bout did him in we decided next time they clog up we're not going to make him go through that again we got the phone call uh, this was a week and a half ago we got the phone call saying they're clogged up so we said okay so I talked to Cheryl my wife and we hightailed it down to they live in Ohio uh, just outside of an hour outside of Cincinnati we hightailed it down there got to see my dad I, I, I've told a number of you it was probably one of the nicest visits I've had with him in a year's time I don't understand I know that that dialysis really knocks the wind out of him and maybe that has made him we talked for 20 minutes I have not had a 20 minute conversation with my dad I told him all that's going on in my life it was so fun and to have him respond back to me was Miraculous. I did some research. How long does someone last who's been on dialysis, who discontinues dialysis? And they said it's anywhere from two days to, two, to a few weeks. A few days to a few weeks. Some of you have experienced that, and some of you have been talking to me about that, and I do appreciate that. And I, again, I do appreciate the prayers. But it's a valley. But I don't understand it. On Friday, my aunt, that's my, my dad's younger sister, 
Let me see. My dad is 88. In a month, he'll be 89. My, my aunt is, what, 86, almost 87. She and her husband, my aunt and uncle, went to visit my dad and brought six puppies in. They're in assisted living. Brought six puppies in. My dad had the best time. He was playing with these puppies. My aunt and my, my dad were reminiscing, remembering all the pets that they had as kids. Then yesterday, yesterday, my oldest brother, my twin brother, and my younger brother. I'm one of four boys, and, and then little tiny sister finally came along. But um, my, my three brothers went in to see him, and my, my twin brother is a youth minister. He thinks he's the oldest youth minister in the world. He's 65 years old and still works with youth. Children, he's children and youth. <laughs> well, as a good youth minister, he brought toys to play with. He brought a balloon, blew it up, and they have photos of my dad um, punching the balloon, and I'm thinking, what is going on? What is going on? I am so confused. But our deepest valleys, God says, I know you don't understand it. Trust me. Trust me. We're all going to go through them. And David learned. And that's why he wrote this psalm. David learned that when we go through the deepest valleys, we can continue to trust him. Because he knows where it leads. God knows where it leads. We are confused. I am one confused guy. But God knows, and we will continue to trust him. The valley isn't good, but the shepherd is, and he knows the way. <laughs> Let me talk about something else. The shepherd has you covered. The shepherd has you covered. Write that down. You know, David tells us how... Uh, to be fearless in adversity. He tells us that even in the valley, in the shadow of death, it did, he didn't dread the evil that he would face. So how do you fight fear when you don't know what's going to happen next? Your imagination is working overtime. How did David do it? How did he do this? David tells us his confidence came from three sources. Look at Psalm 23 again, uh, verse 4. It says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Those three things I want to share with you. David, uh, letter A, David stayed in God's presence. First, he speaks of God's nearness, his presence. When, when you step into your valley, and it's so dark you can't even see the path ahead and the possibility that there are predators and enemies laying in wait for you. Your shepherd has something that he wants you to hear. He wants you to hear this. I will be with you. Don't turn to drugs or alcohol or other substitutes that, that you think will help get you through this valley. All you need is your shepherd. 
the writer Kenneth Wilson tells the story of growing up in Pittsburgh and he lived in this three-floor house. It was built on the uh, side of a hill and how this house, the, the third floor was where all the bedrooms were. And the, 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 there was what? Bedrooms plus a hallway plus another room that had all the stuff in storage. <laughs> it had trunks and that smelled like mothballs in history. And, he, and, and this Kenneth said that what was unnerving for him was that as the youngest child, he was sent to bed first. He had to go way up on that third floor, braving the, uh, the floor of dark bedrooms. It seems like to him that it was the end of the earth, remote of any human habitation, close to the unexplained noises and the dark secrets. He, he said that his father would try to stop the windows from rattling, you know, that old-fashioned way of sticking little... what. Uh, wooden matches in there to try to fill the holes and stop things from rattling, but it didn't seem to help. Uh, evidently, you know, inevitably the time would come when, when everything would be rattling. The dad would turn out the lights and shut the door, and Kenneth could hear his steps of his dad going down the steps, fainting away. And all would be quiet except for those rattling windows and his out-of-control imagination. Once Kenneth's dad said to him, would you rather I leave the light on and go downstairs or shut off the light and stay with you a while? And Kenneth said, oh, shut off the light and stay with me. You see, Kenneth chose the presence of his father with darkness over the absence with light. And isn't that what we really want most in our valleys? The assurance that someone is there with us and God is there with us. There's no valley, no matter how dark, that you will go through alone. He will not leave you. Hebrews chapter 13, a promise. God has said, never. Never sounds like a... Never, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, this is in the Bible. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Amen. Let's talk about the next thing. God saw God's, or David saw God's power. You know, uh, the, the Psalms talks about, you know, thy rod and thy staff, they come for me. I always just thought it was like, okay, that's two, name, two words for the same thing. It's not. I was reading about the rod uh, in, in a commentary. It's a two-foot club made of hard wood with a rounded ball on the end of it. It was a lot of times whittled from a knot in a tree, and sometimes it had sharp bits of metal pounded into it. And I read that, I thought, I have one of those. I, uh... There it is. I got that on the mission field in Africa from a, a Maasai. Matter of fact, show the picture of the guy. That's, the, that's an African Maasai warrior. Uh, I was there three years ago. That's actually, he's holding this. I wrestled it from him. You should see him after I got it. <laughs> actually, it's just the opposite. I was the one who got beat up. But in any case, 
I thought, I have that. Now, this is only about 18 inches long, but the shepherd back then would carry one that was two feet long with a ball and, and with a, show the next picture. You can see the end of it. He, they carve a little point. You know, you get hit with that, it will do some damage. <laughs> and that's what, that's what David was like, you know what? Thy rod shows the power of God. This club was used to defend the, slot, uh, the, the flock against attacks. It pictures the shepherd's power. It used, uh, was used against overpowering enemies. David said that he had no fear in adversity because of the comfort of God's power protecting him from that which would ruin him. And you do not need to fear either. Matter of fact, 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. God says, I've got the power. Wasn't there a commercial or something? I got the power. Okay, now let's move on. That's not in my notes. That's a freebie there. Okay. God experienced, or David experienced God's leading. Write that down. He says, your staff the rod which we looked at, and your staff, they come from me. I um, borrowed this. Um, this seems a little bit fancier than most shepherd's staff. This one, someone really put some work into that to make that. Um, someone pointed out that you could just rest your arm like that. I thought, that's a good idea. But, uh, David says, your, your staff comforts me. He said that, you know, he was referring to the, the shepherd's crook. With its hook on the end, a good shepherd could use this to, to guide the sheep. To lead them, to, uh, if they uh, if they begin to to stray off, they could uh, be brought back into the to the fold. A gentle tap would um, would bring them back in. The crook could be used to gather his sheep uh, that might got get out of out of line that have fallen into something, and they could pull him out. Um, David felt comfort that his shepherd was guiding his steps, and making sure that he makes it through the darkness safe, safely. David was confident that valley times were appointed for his good. We're going to go through the valleys. Every single one of us. But it's for our good. He learned things about God that he could not have learned any other way except going through those deep ravines. He stayed close and trusted God and trusted his protection and his guidance all the way. All because he could say, the Lord is my shepherd. I, I want to read just a, a portion of this book called uh, Front Porch Tales by Philip Gully. Uh, Philip used to uh, preach here in Indianapolis. Uh, he was down in the Irvington area when I was um, over at that uh, Garfield Christian Church near Garfield Park. And um, I served down there uh, during my senior year of college. Pretty cool. And Philip Gawley, uh, he's written a number of books. He lives in Danville now. But Front Porch Tale, I want to just read to you Growing Roots. Had an old neighbor when I was growing up named Dr. Gibbs. He didn't look any 
He didn't look like any doctor I'd ever known before. <laughs> Every time I saw him, he was wearing denim overalls and a straw hat, the front brim with the green sunglass plastic. He smiled a lot, a smile that matched his old, his hat, old and crinkly and well-worn. He never yelled at us for playing in his yard. I remember him as someone who was a lot kinder, nicer than circumstances warranted. When Dr. Gibbs wasn't saving lives, he was planting trees. His house sat on 10 acres, and his life goal was to make it a forest. The good doctor had some interesting theories concerning plant husbandry. He came from the no pain, no gain school of horticulture. He never watered his new trees, which flew in the face of conventional wisdom. Once I asked him why, he said that watering plants spoiled them. And that if you water each them, each successive tree generation will grow weaker and weaker. So you have to make things rough for them and weed out the, the weenie trees early on. He talked about watering trees made, uh, uh, he talked about how watering trees made for shallow roots and how trees that weren't watered had to grow deep roots in search for moisture. I took him to mean that deep roots were to be treasured. So he never watered his trees. He planted an oak and instead of watering it every morning, he would beat it with a rolled up newspaper. <laughs> Smack, slap, pow. I asked him why he did that. He said it was to get the tree's attention. <laughs> well, Dr. Gibbs has gone on to glory when a couple years ago, or a couple years after I left home. Every now and then I walk by his house and I look at the trees that I watched him plant some 25 years ago. They're granite strong now, big and robust. Those trees wake up in the morning, they beat their chest, and they drink their coffee black. I planted a couple trees a few years back, carried water to them for a solid summer, sprayed them, prayed over them, the whole nine yards. And two years of coddling has resulted in trees that expect to be waited on hand and foot. Whenever the cold wind blows in, they tremble and, and chatter. Sissy trees. Funny thing about those trees of Dr. Gibbs, adversity, deprivation seem to benefit them in ways comfort and ease never could. Every night before I go to bed, I go and I check on my two sons. I stand over them and I watch their little bodies, the rising, the falling of life within. I often pray for them. Mostly I pray that their lives will be easy. Lord, spare them from hardship. But lately I think I've been, lately I've been thinking that it's time to change my prayers has to do with the inevitability of cold winds that hit us at the core. I know my children are going to encounter hardship and my praying that it won't is naive. 
there's always a cold wind blowing somewhere. So I'm changing my eventide prayer because life is tough, whether we want it to be or not. Instead, I'm going to pray that my son's roots grow deep so that they can draw strength from the hidden sources of the eternal God. Too many times we pray for ease, but that's a prayer seldom met. What we need to do is pray for roots that grow deep into the eternal. So when the rain falls and the winds blow, we won't be swept asunder. Amen. You know, when you find yourself weak, in the dark, uncertain of the future, and your soul is downcast, and I want to encourage you to look up, grow deep roots, make your faith your own, fix your eyes on Jesus, your good shepherd, stick close to him, hug his knees. Because God knows that that is what's going to get you the strength that you need. Trust that he knows the way through the valley and he will see you safely through it. Believe that he has good reason for taking this route, even though it's hard and unfamiliar. And hold on to the truth that there is something better waiting for you on the other side of that valley. God is going to be with you. The night that Jesus was betrayed and he said, I'm going to be nailed to a cross. They said, no way. It was the biggest valley those apostles went through. It was the biggest valley that Jesus went through. But he did it for you and me because he knew what was on the other side. And that is why we take time every Sunday to remember. I'm going to ask you to take your communion. I want you to remember with me that Jesus gave his life, his body, the biggest valley for you and me. Let's partake together. And Jesus bled for us. He shed his blood <laughs> to give us life. Let's take the juice together. Oh God, thank you. <laughs> we don't understand it, but thank you for the valleys. Thank you that when we're in them, we come to you closer than ever. We dig the deepest roots. We hug your knees. And you know where you're taking us. And we're going to trust in you. Thank you for the valley that Jesus went through to give us life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>